0: Triathlon Show, 273. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview James Teagle, my fellow scientific triathlon coach. He's back on the podcast, and our topic for today is how best to train and prepare and also execute sprint and Olympic distance at triathlon races. We'll dive right into it after thanking our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com precision hydration create electrolyte products that you can match to your individual sweat sodium concentration level so you can have a strong electrolyte supplement if you lose a lot of sodium in your sweat or a lighter one if you lose less and they make it really easy for you to figure out where you should be because they have a free online sweat test that you can take to get a good validated ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat and also what your sweat rate might be so how much fluid should you consume in in total, uh, so that after taking that sweat test, you will have actually a, a hydration plan complete for whatever goal race you put in. In that questionnaire, it just takes a few minutes to complete, so well worth the effort. And then, if you want to buy precision hydration electrolytes, you can do that with a fifteen percent discount using the code show one five. And thank you to Roka that you can find on Roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. I want to highlight a product today that I haven't talked about that much before. But it's the neoprene shorts, the Roka seam shorts. They can be a real lifesaver when you try to get in a quality swim session on days when you might carry a lot of fatigue in your legs or your legs just feel generally sinky for some reason. Just put on the neoprene shorts and you get that little extra buoyancy and can still focus on having a really good stroke, really good stroke mechanics and getting a really good workout in despite the fact that you might have had that fatigue or just heavy legs after perhaps a, a hard bike or, or run earlier you can get 20% off your roca order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash tts so let's get into the interview with james teagle just a quick uh, apology in advance i had a day of pretty bad allergies when doing this interview so you might hear that in my voice especially towards the end i think but let's just pray that James do most of the talking anyway, and you don't have to deal with that too much. So here we go, coach James Teagle of Scientific Triathlon. So we're back with another podcast episode with Scientific Triathlon coach James Teagle. Uh, James, hello, how are you doing?
1: Hi, um, great. Um, well, yeah, as, as well as you can be at this, this time, uh, nothing to complain about. And it's, uh, it's great to be back.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you, and we have uh, an exciting topic here that has been requested by a lot of listeners, so so this will be a really interesting discussion, I think, about sprint and Olympic distance training, and particularly as it pertains to to age groupers. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, can, can you just remind the listeners that may not have heard your previous appearances on the podcast, kind of what your background in racing and in coaching is, just a, a brief intro, so to say.
1: So yeah, on race on the race side of things, so um, I'm a British athlete, um, and I've been lucky enough to to race in uh, you know numerous championships on the Olympic and sprint distance scene, draft legal. Um, so you know I've been lucky to go to Junior Worlds, under twenty three Worlds, uh, senior Europeans, you know racing World Cups, that that kind of thing. So um, you know I've had a I've enjoyed my career there, and I've had a you know, had a good a decent career. Um, on the coaching side of things, um, yeah, I've been working with you for three years now inside of a triathlon. Um, before that, I was coaching at local clubs, uh, coaching at swimming clubs, coaching at triathlon clubs. Uh, I came from, I got my degree, I got a Loughborough University degree um, and you know, that's where I was training as well. So a lot of my knowledge, well early knowledge especially, comes from the people I've met and the people i trained with. You know, I've had opportunities to, to work with some great physiologists and great uh some great athletes as well um so yeah that that's me in a nutshell um i hope that's okay
0: yep yeah yeah that's a perfect summary uh, absolutely and uh and as you said you've been coaching with scientific from for three years and uh, and that's across the board from very beginner level to very advanced athletes yeah. and, and all across all distances uh and on the short course you have athletes that have been focusing both on the draft legal side of things and uh, non-draft
1: yeah it's been been really exciting yeah working with a whole range of athletes and yeah i mean it's not boring that's for sure different challenges every day
0: (laughs) so so let's start with uh with the following uh discussion when when we're discussing triathlon training and uh training for sprint or olympic versus long course like half and full distance triathlons what aspects of training do you think are similar, regardless of the distance or or the same?
1: So I think the thing to think about here and the thing to remember is a sprint distance, despite the name, is still an endurance sport. It's still going to take you, you know, even for a pro, pro is going to take just under an hour to complete that. You know, it's not a sprint. It's going to be using, you know, your endurance system. Um, So some element of having a good aerobic system, aerobic base is going to benefit you across the board there, whether you're doing a sprint all the way to Ironman. So you know that's something to think about, and you know I feel like sometimes the sprint distance gets written off as kind of the new person's event, or you know the event that's less less superior to a full distance uh, Ironman. But actually, yeah, it's still an endurance sport, and I think it's important people remember that. Um, you know, and as being as being part of an endurance sport, you know, you still got to think about the general fitness aspects. So arguably, on a sprint distance, you know, your metrics like VO two max are going to be more important. No, if you're getting really scientific, you're thinking things like second threshold being quite important. Um, especially first threshold is still important across across the board though. Um, but yeah, VO2 max, second threshold becomes more important at sprint distance, but it's still important. You know first threshold is still very important. Um and you know, same same with all the sports, you know, your economy is is also very important. So no matter what level of you know potential FTP you're holding, potentially threshold pace you're holding, you are still got to be able to be economical doing that. And that's true across sprint distance, where you're trying to run you know, 99% FTP um, or threshold pace, for example, uh, off a bike, as it is to, you know, you're trying to run 80% of your uh, threshold pace um, in a 70.3 or an Ironman. You know, it's still it's still there. And, you know, with that, swim technique is very important. You know There's still elements of nutrition that are important, elements of being consistent in training very important um yeah um, there's there's lots of lots of similarities across all the sports even though the distances do vary a lot um yeah i hope that answers your question
0: yeah i yeah yeah absolutely and and i think that if we look at the the very very world class uh side of sprint distance racing for example right now on the men's yeah. side Vincent Louis has been very dominant on the women's side uh, katie safiris over the last few years before her flora duffy flora duffy might be coming back now again before vincent lee we had mario mola uh, a common denominator of all these athletes is that when they became the number one in the world they weren't like the new kid on the block the 20 year old that hasn't really happened since the brownlees i think right. but it's they're in their late 20s when they really start to dominate whether we're talking about sprint or olympic distance racing and and i think that's a sign of just the number of years it takes to really fully develop your aerobic potential. And uh, and it's just a sign of the, that that is still the most important thing when, when we talk about even sprint distance uh, triathlon, which for the elites so of the elites takes uh, less than 50 minutes. Well, yeah, I mean, for the elite of elite, you're looking at that conditioning aspect
1: being, you know, actually how much percentage threshold. You know, you've got to have a very good threshold and they've got to be able to run, you know, fast. <laughs> but actually, how fast can they run off a bike, and that—that that is what what takes a long time to develop. I think, but actually, being able to run fast off a bike, having that conditioning aspect, you know, you might be able to run, you know, fourteen minute five k. Can you do that off a bike? And I think that's what takes a lot of time. Um, but yeah, that—that's the elite, of elite, like you say.
0: Yeah. So, so if we uh, if we discuss base training a little bit, we're in early February here as we record this. And uh, a lot of athletes are going through their winter training for hopefully a summer racing season uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere, at, at least uh, the Australians are already in their racing season. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, if you are focusing, let's say that you have a fixed amount of training time per week that you're training at, and it doesn't matter what it is, let's call it eight hours per week right now. And, we have athlete a is training for sprint and olympic distance races and athlete b is training for half and full distance ironman races do you think that the training they should be doing uh, is very similar in this time of the season or if, well, if it differs how does it differ
1: it depends on it depends on when your race your actual a race is going to be uh, first of all so you know the classic periodized approach you know in that way, yeah, your training might be fairly similar. You're going to be doing a fair bit of aerobic endurance work. Um, you're probably going to be doing a bit around the top end as well, um, especially for a sprint and Olympic distance athlete. Um, but yeah, the similarities are, It is, like I said, it's an endurance sport. So no matter what you're going to be racing, you're going to have to do some elements of endurance. Now, as your time is limited, you know, eight hours, you're going to have to probably combine some of that endurance within sessions. So one of the things you'll be looking at, especially is you know what are the specifics of, it, of the event you know you, you don't want to get too far away from that now you can get you can get hung up on trying to develop your vo2 max power your critical power that kind of thing and yeah it's all very important but actually what are the specifics of the event so i'll be looking at it and thinking okay what event am i doing and where am i now and, you know, what, what does the event look like? I, I want to do, you know, if it's a mountain triathlon, uh, then you need to be thinking about that now as well. Uh, probably less so, but it's something you need to be thinking about. Um, you know, actually, are you riding in position on your TT bike? Are you getting used to climbing? You know, yes, less important now, but still something to think about. Um, and it really does depend on the athlete and when your race is going to be. So, yeah, I mean, let's say an example, you have a race in in May. It's a standard Flat distance race, you know, you're racing Olympic distance at the moment. I probably be working, I probably well, you're coming off. What I'd say is your standard winter block at the moment. You're probably just about to go into a bit more specificity, uh, specific work. So you probably have been doing a fair bit around threshold. Um, you're probably doing a fair bit of aerobic volume in that base block, and now you'd be transitioning over to doing probably a bit more sweet spot work, probably a bit more standard work on actually looking what your tempo paces off a bike looking at actually still incorporating some speed work there. Um, but yeah, getting more specific at the moment, I'd say. Um, and I don't want to, you know, this, this, this year has been weird. So that, that's normal all year. Um, does that mean, does that, does that answer the question? Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 So, so to summarize there, you would, uh, the specificity, there would always be a little, a bit, uh, some degree of specificity in the training, but actually now early February, uh, if somebody has that a race in May, this is already a point where you would start to incorporate a bit more specificity. So, so actually like when, when comparing this to a very traditional view of linear periodization, uh, to me, it seems like you would, you would include more specificity, much more specificity, much more, much earlier than the traditional periodization model.
1: Well, you know, I think whatever you're doing in training has got to be specific. You know, you've got to know what you're training towards. And you know, this applies to, this is the danger of throwing around numbers because, when you look at a sprint distance race for, you know, a pro, that's going to take them under an hour. For some people, that might be taking two hours. So That's a completely different numbers you're looking at. You know, you've got to know what you're aiming for. And you should have decided by now, actually, what am I aiming for? Uh, what do I want to do? What am I trying to achieve? You know, am I trying to win the race? Am I trying to just finish the race? This is my first one? You know, that kind of thing is, is stuff that you you should have you should be thinking about at least. Um, but you should have a, a good idea of what you're trying to achieve in your training. And, you know, being specific. For that goal um it gives you something to target as well um but yeah i think no matter where you are in your year you know you need to be looking at yeah what what am i trying to race you don't be racing something completely you're training something that's completely irrelevant now there might be times where you, know, you look at an athlete and you know you're at 90 percent of it, uh, vo2 max uh with her FTP, and okay yeah that, that's going to be a limiting factor i need to work on that and actually it might not be that specific to my event um but, you know, that, that's fairly rare. Most athletes can get away with increasing their VO2 max by by training. <laughs> uh, not not a lot of people are actually limited by their VO2 max. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it depends on the individual. depends on your circumstances. But throughout the year, I would be looking at some kind of specifics to your race.
0: Um, it's, it's yeah, not- yeah no, mm-hmm. I totally agree uh, with yeah. that. I, yeah, I, I have athletes that they had their off-season their two-week break in the second half of october and then they got back to training in november and, and fairly early on like let's say maybe their fourth week of training we started doing uh specific blocks of ironman training so that might be just including two weeks a two-week block where a lot of training is really geared towards ironman and their target ironman race power in some cases they what the difference between the target and their current ability is too big so then we focus more on the current uh A realistic power but but with many it's it's more like okay we know that your goal is this and you're not too far off from that so let's start by building up to doing 90 minutes of work on the bike for example at that race power and then gradually increase that and and keep repeating these blocks throughout the year so they the athletes that started doing that in Late November, then maybe did that in late December and in late January again and, yeah. and and just including specificity throughout the year so 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 I totally agree with with that uh, and and then but then also combining it with knowledge of the athlete's personal limiters yeah. and uh, as you said, in the example of somebody might be might be limited by v o two max even though it's not yeah. that common
1: yeah i mean yeah I mean you hit an element you know kind of what I'm trying to say there is. Yeah, you you don't want to make you don't get stale in your training. And you know, if you're giving your athletes in November, know a crazy Ironman race day, big day. You know, okay, probably don't be doing that. But you want to be you want to be training in time trial position. You know, you want to get used to that. You want to get as aerodynamic as you can. You know, that that kind of thing. You want to get used to. Yeah, this is how it's going to feel, Uh, even if you are far away from your racing. I'm not saying go and give them. go give yourself. A, a really, really race-specific, hard Ironman, you know, this is this is pretty much a feel-like session, but, you know, you want to be racing, you want to be training a bit about tempo work, for example, or you want to be training a bit, sweet spot, or doing some endurance riding. Um, you know, you don't want to do a massive amount of it, and as you get close to racing, you might want to do more, or you will want to do more, Um, but you should still be thinking about that, no matter where you are in season. You know, one of the things you can do as an athlete or as a coach is you can you can you know you're looking at you can go and look at the courses and you know you can map them and map the files you know exactly what you're up against uh you can see what previous power outputs have been you know you can pretty much go and look at a course and think okay what do i need to do to to perform in this race you know what kind of time will that give me you know it's going to depend on weather conditions and who turns up but that that not, that information is out there um, and you can use it to your advantage
0: yeah, no, definitely. And, and that's something that more and more in the last couple of years, I've been starting to use in my coaching as well to not just give, you know, one race power or race yeah. pace when, when you're doing like some specific work, but actually it varies around some average race power or race pace and uh, and including those variations in training. So, yeah. so if somebody is training for an Olympic distance race and they want to be holding uh, 250 watts, then... Uh, a 15-minute interval at race pace might look like five minutes at 260, five minutes at 240, and five minutes at 250 at the end. So so including those variations. And that's just a very simplistic example, but, but it comes back to that specificity aspect. And, and another yeah. thing with that is that when you get to springtime and the roads start to get really nice and clear of snow and uh, the weather is uh, also better, go out and do that on the road. Can, can you actually hold that yeah. power in your race position on the road and, and not just uh, in the perfectly sterile environment of your trainer uh, and yeah. your, your pain cave? So so, so those are all things related to specificity that that are important.
1: And I, th- I think it's important, you mentioned it there, is you know, when you think about a course, especially a triathlon course, unless it's dead pancake flat with no wind, you're going to have to vary the power a bit. Um, so you're going to have to get used to that. So a lot of athletes I see sat on the trainer, holding X power. Um, actually, especially when you get into that specific kind of phase, you want to be aware that, you know, you're going to have to go up a hill. And actually at that point, if you're if you're chasing performance, you're going to have to vary your power there. You're going to have to go a bit harder if you want that time, you know. And then there's going to be different parts of the course where potentially you've got a bit of a tailwind, you don't have to work so hard. So it's actually looking at the course and not just sitting on your trainer holding X watts, you know, for an hour. Actually, you know, you need to put a few spikes in there sometimes. Um there is there 's is, a point in doing that sometimes you know you want to be able to ride your average race power, but being aware that in the real world that race power is probably not going to be unless it 's pancake flat or no wind is not something you 're going to be you know able, you might be able to do it, but do you want to do it um, so yeah yeah i 'm happy about that
0: yeah absolutely what, what, one thing that uh, that I like to do is uh even with general training like let like, 's say a general tempo ride, uh, particularly on the bike because there that's where you have a definitely bigger variations and spikes in power compared to the run. In the run you can quite often be very yeah. controlled and steady. Uh, if you're racing of course like competing for the podium then you might have surges and stuff but but that's more rare on, on the age group side of things. But but on the bike, like do, let's say you have a 45 minute tempo ride like start every 5 minutes with a 10 second sprint. Uh, that's something that I use quite a lot in Uh, with my athletes to to just make sure that you are able to stay at that moderate intensity despite having just done a sprint which you would do if you even on a pancake flat course when you get to the u-turn because a lot of courses would not be just one single loop but they would you would do them many times so you get to u-turn or you get to turn of some sort and need to accelerate out the corner and uh, that's a perfect simulation of that.
1: I mean, going back to the base, the base phase, it's, it's a, you know, it's important to kind of throw that kind of thing in there because, you know, you might, you might come up across these different, different aspects when you're racing. Now, typically when I'm on about, or when you're on about um, getting ready for a specific A race, we mean that A race, you know, a lot of people in a normal year will race many, many times. Uh, so it's impossible to prepare, especially if you're looking for the course, prepare for all those, all those course differences. You know, you can't, you get obsessed with it, Um but you know, you 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 need to be preparing for that one race, really, or maybe two races. But you know, having that in your skill set, you know, is is not a bad thing. You know, it's it's not going to do any harm to have you know that ability to do, yeah, maybe five seconds. You don't have to be the best in the world at it, or you know, you don't even have to be the best in your club at it or anything. But um, just having the ability to do that, you know, it's it's an extra tool in toolkit. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So so let's uh, discuss some specifics uh, that uh, can be used uh, around what we already discussed here with specificity so uh, dis- discussing around the race demands of sprint distance racing and Olympic distance racing so if we start with sprint distance racing okay. and again we're talking here from the perspective of uh, of age group athletes uh, so and there are differences of course for yeah. the beginner versus the advanced Athlete, so so maybe give some some of the key takeaways in terms of the the race demands that and age group athletes or different levels should think of.
1: I mean, I think I've already alluded. It is quite different, whether you you know, because if you're a beginner, your aim is probably going to be to finish the race um, for that first one. Whereas if you're an age trooper and you know you're fighting for the podium or you're looking at qualifying for uh, championships and things, and you obviously your aims, are, you know, the percentage power and the time you're going to be you doing the event in is going to be a lot faster. So therefore. You know, they are different demands. Um yeah, obviously with sprint distance, you know, seven fifty fifteen metres swim. Um a lot of things a lot of a lot of people, whether they're age group beginners or uh, you know, veterans, you know, that, that first swim of the year, the open water swim, especially in colder climates, you know, it's not something they're used to. Um so being prepared for that and being prepared actually okay, you know, you're probably not gonna be able to choose your pace for that first hundred metres um unless you sit right at the back. Um, you know, being prepared not to sit at one pace. If you're an age trooper who's just beginning, um, then actually being able to you know, hold the distance and, and swim the distance is, is going to be important. So that's something you're looking at in your training, actually, can I swim this entire distance? Um, if you're trying to fight for the podium, um, then you need to be, okay, what kind of pace demand is that? You know, it's going to be, it's only 750 meters. Um, so you're going to have to be holding around threshold for that, for that kind of distance. Um, where potentially if it's a lot of people on the beach with you and it's a decent race um, there's going to be people around you as well who are going to be hitting you accidentally hopefully um, but just being prepared for that and thinking of specifics of okay how do I demand how does how do I respond to that kind of demand of racing and you know, how do I respond to that kind of pace variation you know not just things like um, the pace I'm holding for the entirety the average um, but also okay, how fast are we going around these boys? Because, you know, I want to get my head down. I don't want to get anyone, you know, even even if you're at the back of a field, it still happens. Uh, um, So, you know, people people can't see what they're doing in the water half the time. Um, So just just being prepared for that. Um, And yeah, also also remembering that a lot of the time when you swim uh, in the pool, you're doing so without a wetsuit. Now, depending on where you're going to do it, um, you may or may not be swimming with a wetsuit. If you're swimming with a wetsuit, your pace perception is probably going to be slightly different um now you can't really use your pace in the pool in open water swimming anyway because there's so many different factors that play into that you know where tied other people actual length of the course because they're rarely ever accurate um so just being just being aware of that as well but one of the things you should be working on the pool is okay what is my pace perception and does this feel around about threshold does it match up with with the the time the coach has given me or i'm i'm getting myself off a pace clock that's stuff you want to be thinking about um in the water now um when you get out yeah, yeah. when you get out of the water um as a no matter who you are you know you've got a transition and over a sprint distance transition is a large proportion of a race um now it's frustrating sometimes when you see athletes who think oh hey it's transition it's uh rest time uh it's not it's part of a race you need to run uh now if yeah if you if you just aim to get around that first time and you know you you can take it a bit more chilled if you're a bit nervous about you know completing distance but if you're aiming to do well in the race you need to run um you know you need to make sure that's fast and you need to practice that transition you know beginners need to practice it advanced athletes need to practice it because you know it's crucial you know you can lose 30 seconds in transition easily some transitions have long runs as well so it's something to look out for make sure the run is not too long or if it is long actually use that to your advantage um you know make sure you're good at getting your shoes on make sure you good to get your helmet on um, you know, number belt don't forget your number belt that kind of thing um, you know, it's important and it's important to practice that you know, getting your wetsuit down if you've got a wetsuit on first thing you want to do is get that down you know a lot of people have trouble with that so practicing that at home um good idea and it's going to save you time you know, it, it's a pain. Not, a lot of people don't like doing it, but, you know, when you're training for marginal watts on the bike, um, then you may as well do that cause it's going to save you 30 seconds. Um, so, yeah, that's important. I, I um, think especially,
0: especially, for advanced, especially for advanced athletes that have uh, a, a long history in the sport and are at that point of diminishing returns in terms yeah. of getting fitter and every single increase in fitness is going to take a lot of training, that is improving your transition time is probably the, where you can get the most time for the least training. You, you really don't need yeah. to do that much of it, but if you do it regularly uh, and uh, that, then you're going to like just a little bit of it regularly. So once a week, maybe bring your wetsuit to the pool and practice some deck ups and some transitions at the end mm-hmm. of the last deck up. So removing your wetsuit, that sort of thing. And when you get out on the bike, actually don't, Get in your shoes right away, but have them strapped uh, with yeah. the elastics to the bike and and jump on that way. So it's just adding yes. another one minute to your bike ride by doing that preparation. But then, if you do that once per week or more, then, then you're going to be that much better at doing it in the race.
1: And, and you can practice that stuff year round, right? Um, it's going to be more on your focus and it's going to be more useful the closer you get to the race. But if you're nervous and it's something you haven't done before uh, or you're quite new to the sport, you know the earlier you start practicing that, the less mistakes you're going to make. Um, yeah, in terms of, you know, clipping in shoes uh, and then going to be elastics, you know, you're going to lose time if you don't do that. It's, you know, it's the skill that I think a fair few people are a bit nervous about doing. And, you know, because there's some hilarious pictures of people jumping over their bikes. So you've got to be careful. Um, but yeah, it's worth practicing and making sure you've got that nailed. Because if you do that on race day and it's the first time you've done it, then, yeah, it's probably not going to end that well. Um, so you know with kids you do it with on the mountain bikes you know you get them just to jump on the bike and off the bike uh you know with with adults you could probably clip in on on some grass or something and you know with maybe a cross bike or something or even on your normal road bike if it's fairly fairly dry um you've got to be careful and take your time with it um you know you can practice things like just taking your foot out when you're riding and then putting it back in without looking at your feet that kind of thing is it's quite useful um but yeah, practice makes perfect. There, um, it's definitely those little things that will add up. Um, you know, if you get them right over someone who doesn't, you, know, you can easily lose a minute, minute and a half. You know, I've seen it happen um, in transition. So yeah, it's important. Um, so yeah, okay. Yeah. So once you're out on the bike, can, I, can, I, can oh. I go
0: back to a point? A point on the, Can I go back on the, to a point on the swim there? So I think uh, you mentioned pace perception, and that is key. And I think for the beginner, it's more about learning to not go out too fast learning to find as quickly as possible your sustainable pace and that doesn't have to be something that feels very hard if you're just uh aiming to complete the race rather than compete uh, for podiums or things like that so so the pace perception there in not starting too hard is the most important thing but for the advanced athlete that is uh, going for podiums what is more important there really is to be able to Start really, really hard, and then still be able to swim hard after that, even though inevitably your pace is gonna drop off, but well, the time is short enough that 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 you should be able to hold on even though the first one hundred meters or so are going to be brutally hard, and that's something that you can and should in my opinion build into your training
1: well there's, uh, yeah there's there's several scenarios there um yeah as a as a beginner, I'd just like to add you know if it's your first race, you're gonna have adrenaline uh, you're gonna out hard uh. Now, when, we, when I'm swimming, you know, swimming at a decent level. When, when you're swimming um, or saying for kids as a coach, it's like if you're doing a 400-meter swim, you're going to go fast in that first 100 meters. You know, It's going to happen. You're not going to have to think about it. It's the next two, 300 meters you need to worry about. Um, so, yeah, just being prepared for that on race day, actually, if you're a beginner, to, to hold back a bit. Yeah. Like you say, as an advanced athlete, you might need to go quite hard at the start. It really does depend on the course, though. Um, because I've seen courses that are 100 meters to that first boy, where it's critical to get around that first boy as quickly as possible. Um, I've also seen courses where it's just 750 meters straight. Um, in that case, you've got a bit more; you can be a bit more relaxed about it. Uh, because those guys who go out too fast will end up coming back to you. The problem is if you've got a really tight turn initially, and this is where you need to look at look at the race course. If you have got that tight turn initially, you are going to get strung out because that boy strings everyone out. And actually trying to overtake everyone is really hard work if it's a long way to that first boy it's going to be more bunched up and it's not going to be so hard to, to actually move around the pack so being aware of that um, is, is really important um, you know especially if you're racing at the top level uh, you want to be you know this is getting really technical now and I don't want to put anyone off but you know if you are looking at racing well and, and racing hard whether this is a draft legal sense or a non drafting sense we know that the swim will probably half your W prime. So if you swim hard, your W prime is gonna be about half. So it gives you less match to burn on the bike. So that's something you wanna think about is actually the way you pace a swim is gonna impact the rest of your race. Um now in elite racing in top end level of age route racing, you know, you've got no choice. You've got to go with it. Um but yeah, just just being aware that there's there's gonna be a cost somewhere in the line to that as well.
0: Yeah, and I take that point. That's a, that's a really great point. I, I think that to some extent, even regardless of the course, you will have, if uh, unless you're absolutely one of the fastest swimmers in the field, mm-hmm. it, you will need to start hard because somebody else is starting harder than you and potentially by starting hard, you can get on their feet and then swim faster than you would either, otherwise do by getting some slightly faster feet to follow. But yeah, you're right. It's a, kind of a, a, a trade-off there between the benefit of doing that and the cost of having your W prime. You
1: don't want to blow up and be unable to swim threshold uh, either after that first hundred meters. Yeah. But sometimes in in those longer boy races, uh, where it's a long way, say 400 meters to the first boy or 350 meters, you know, if you go out slightly easier, um, you know, for most people you want to go out at a reasonable pace still. It's not going to be, you know, if you're looking at advanced level athlete, you know, you're still going out fairly hard. Um, but you just save your matches a bit so that actually you can build, you can build through the group when everyone who's gone out too hard goes backwards. Um, so yeah. But yeah, in general, yeah. the closer the boy is to the to, you, to the, to start, the faster you want to go at the start. Um, because yeah, you're going to want to be around that first boy as high up as possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for a beginner, it's a bit yeah. different. It's just trying to get around the course, you know, try and pace up sensibly. Um, don't get, don't get carried away with nerves you know because you like i say you will be you will be nervous when you start you go you go too hard just be aware of that um as a beginner it's different for for right so there's a difference
0: there yeah does that make sense (laughs) so so let's continue with the with the bike
1: okay Okay. so yeah with a bike so again it depends on on your level conditioning what you're trying to do um so percentage of ftp is going to mean different things for different people um if you're a very well conditioned athlete, you know, racing at the top end, you've got a lot of experience, then you can be racing just under the threshold to understand sprint distance. Uh, you know, you're going to feel it as you come out of the water. Your heart's going to be pounding, but you can be racing there. Uh, you got to know you can run off a bike with that, your legs, but you, you can be racing there. As a more beginner athlete, and it's going to take you slightly longer to race to, to complete the course, you know, you need to go a bit steadier. Um, you can't be at that same of threshold. Um, so yeah, that's the difference there. You know, again, as I've already said, you know, you've got to look at the course you are doing. Um, if you are going straight out of the swim and it's up a mountain, you know, you, you want to be careful with actually, you know, where those where those bits are. You are going to have to go harder, so it's better to go harder up the mountain and then maybe relax a bit on the descent. Um, you know, if you are looking for the best time possible, um, if you are beginning aiming to get around the course, you, know, you want to you want to pace it, you know, as as best you can. you know, the less variation of pacing, the easier it's going to be to you if you're an advanced athlete trying to race as fast as you can, yeah, you're going to have to put different spurts into different times. You know, you don't want to go crazy. Uh, you know, you're still going to be a cost to it again, but if you're more conditioned, you, you, can, you can cope with it better, um, you know, so it really depends on the athlete there. Um, does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Uh, and again, like you need okay. to train for that. We need to, to remind the listeners of that. So, so if you're going up a mountain uh, as you're coming yeah. out of T1 for a beginner, maybe they don't have a choice but to go at a higher percentage of threshold, maybe even at threshold or or even above threshold as much as they would want to, but they can't because of the gearing and uh, the grade. So so if that is the case, knowing Mm -hmm. that in advance and being able to train for that, so training for, let's say, a five minute segment where you're going really hard where you're going at threshold and then recovering for two or three minutes going down the hill and uh, and then doing the same thing again yeah. or if that is what the course is like then, then that's something you should be training at yeah. and, and likewise if you're an advanced athlete and you know that okay people are going to go out all guns blazing up that up that mountain and i need to be with them then then you need to train for that and uh, that might mean going above threshold for a while and yeah. if the because if the hill is i'm thinking of a race that we had in the world world cup last autumn in uh, sardinia i think where they went up a, a really yeah. long reasonably steep hill and and there wasn't that much pedaling going down it was just kind of several minutes there was pedaling but but not hard pedaling yeah. and so so if, if that is your course then you need to make the most out of the time up the mountain when you're actually pedaling
1: I think that's what I was going to say is it, it does, you know, if you're looking at draft legal racing is a, this is where there's a big difference in that. Uh, yeah. If you're, if you're non-drafting, you've got a bit more control over how hard you're pushing. Um, if you are drafting, then you've got less control because you know, that those packs that form on the bike are going to be very important to how the race is going to, going to unfold. Uh, so you want to be making sure that you've trained for the specifics of that event. So, Especially on draft legal side of things, you can end up with races that end up just being kind of just continuous sprints in and out of corners, um, which is a very different race. For example, yeah, like uh, if you go on race Lausanne or something like that, um, you know, or some kind of course where, you know, there's steady climbs and descents. It's a different kind of uh, training stimulus. So you want to be prepared for that. Um, yeah. You get flat courses as well. So yeah, draft legal side of things, you really need to look at the course. Um, but it also applies to non-drafting. You know, you still need to look at the course because especially if you're racing at the top end of that, you need to know where you're gonna push, where the headwind's gonna be, where are the fastest times in this course. You need to have practiced your sessions in position as well, because it's fine having a great FTP set up like this, but you're like a s you're like a wind block when you're racing. <laughs> um, so you're not you're not gonna have to hold the same percentage well, you're very rarely able to hold the same percentage of FTP in aero position as you are sat up, uh, you know, just just chatting like this. Um, so it's exactly, about your yeah. train as well. So it's great. Look at the numbers, um, but don't kid yourself if you're not in aero position, you're going to be able to hold that when it comes to racing.
0: Yeah, and, and being able to, yeah. uh, as much as possible, stay in the aero position when going through corners, for example, practicing those skills of of it in the outdoor environment yeah. is something in, in this uh, Swift world that we live in is uh, more and more important to yeah, remind, yeah. at that at the end of the day, we race the bike yeah. outdoors, and, uh, nice. yeah. and and it's the time from point A to point B, or from the the start of of T one to uh, to T two that that matters in terms of the bike, at least. And that's not necessarily just how yeah. much power you can put out on uh, on the indoor trainer.
1: And when we're looking at that specific uh, bit, you know, training block, you know, you want to be training with your equipment at least some of the time. You know, you want to be racing. With, with the equipment you're going to be using, you want to be on your TT bike. You want to be, you know, you want to have some experience using your wheels, using all your equipment. You don't want to be leaving that until race day. Uh, you want to know how it feels if your deep sections on to get blown by the wind. For example, if you're in that error position, um, then and you're getting blown around, then you know that's going to feel pretty uncomfortable if you're not used to it. The same kind of thing, like you said, you know, you need to be able to go down hills if you're if you're serious about sport, you know, trying to win. Um, you know, obviously, if you're trying to get round and you've got over that's that's perfectly fine. But if you're trying to win the sport, you need to be able to do that in right air position, right? Uh, and it's, you know, it takes skill. Um, you've got to be able to do it. Yep. You've got to practice yep. it. It's not yep. going to happen on race day. Um, there's so much. You, know, you can go and train the power all day long. And, you know, I'm guilty of this as much as everybody. You know, I love going on the lift. And but you need to be able to ride outside um, as well. So yep. don't, don't neglect that don't forget that the race is outside on race day
0: yeah yeah and, and what you mentioned there with uh, in the wind with with your deep section wheels that's important something that I'm working mm-hmm. on and uh, struggling with a bit uh, to be honest or last well a need to improve shall we say is to be able to go fast downhill in the aero position when the roads are wet, I'm a bit scared of that. Uh, not not the most confident when yeah. when cornering on wet roads. And then, so that's 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 another thing that yeah, can make or right. break a, a race uh, if you do that well versus not that well.
1: Yeah, I've seen that. You know, I've seen that happen. You know, of, you know people who can take the course, you can't take the course. People who are not willing to take the risks, but uh, have actually practiced and know how to handle it. Uh, you know, and that's where things like equipment choice also comes useful you know you don't want to go on resting cobbles and 23 millimeters yeah. no. you can get punctured it's not really yeah. very comfortable um i'm guilty of that. that's how i know uh it's not comfortable um so yeah um you know you want to be thinking about the course you also want to be practicing um on no it's not just corners and things it's also road furniture you know, triathlons take place in the real world uh there's going to be bumps you know, they often go through villages. There's often bumps in villages. So being prepared for that and knowing how that feels, Uh, you know, you, you're not going to want to slow all the way down, but you want to know, okay, do I come off the aerobus this? Am I feeling comfortable? You know, is my bottle going to fly out as well? <laughs> it's something to think about, you know, because that kind of stuff, you want to practice it.
0: Yeah. Oh, personal anecdote. I, I have a yeah. new, new bottle carrier and bottle carrier adapter and new bottle cages. And or the last week i have lost three bottles <laughs> three launches it's yeah. it's absolutely insane but uh, yeah it's uh, it's good that i'm learning this now and not one week before the race not on race tape. yeah so, you see people riding around with no bottles you know, yeah. know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. w- one, one yeah. more question so we talked a little bit about what percentage of ftp uh different levels of athletes can but can uh, can you give some guidelines for if we're discussing here a more simple, flattish course with not too many corners or cobbles or like weird things like that. Just, a, just a fairly simple course. Oh. What should a beginner athlete maybe be able to hold versus an intermediate versus an advanced athlete?
1: So, beginner athlete, you know, it, you know, we're coming in from no sporting background. Uh, you know, it's pretty much just, you know, this is your first kind of endurance sport. You know, you're probably aiming, if I'm honest to get around the race uh, you know you should be aiming somewhere I, as a beginner being cautious here I'd say somewhere in the 80s somewhere in the low 80s percent of yeah, FTP um, the more advanced you get the higher that percentage of FTP can, can be you know um, at the top end like I say you could probably be racing 97, 98% of FTP and you'll be okay um, but you know you that's properly advanced athletes you know you've got to remember it's still it's still a race where you've done a swim beforehand um, and there's still going to be some bits of. you know you could be racing 100% FTP um, but you know, there's going to be times when you're racing over FTP. Um, but yeah, just just remembering that basically the more conditioned you are, the faster you are, the higher percentage of FTP you're going to be able to hold. Um, the newer to the sport you are, the less less endurance background you've got, the lower percentage of FTP you're going to be able to hold. Because it's going to take longer yeah. as well.
0: And, and perhaps now that we're on yeah. the topic, let's do the same for the Olympic distance.
1: Let's yeah, I enjoy. mean, if i honest... The Olympic distance is not massively different. Uh, I, would, I would argue it's pretty similar. Um, you know, on the beginner side of things, you know, you're slightly more cautious, you know, starting in the 70s and then building through. Um, on the elite side of things, all the way, you know, for, for age group, advanced age group athletes, you know, you can be looking at 95% FTP, 94%, 93% FTP, FTP. Um, yeah, and you're going to be looking at like 97% FTP for, for a pro athlete on that kind of course. So that's kind of your variation. Um, but yeah. it's still similar energy systems. You're still going to be using similar energy systems. Still, you know, You're know, you going to be taking nutrition as well. It's still going to be fast and furious. Um, so there's not going to be a massive amount of difference there. There's going to be a couple of percentage points of FTP, uh, but that's where it comes down to the two events being slightly different as well. So you need to be, you, know, the, you can be a fit athlete, done loads of fast work but if you've got no conditioning in, in you then for the olympic distance you're going to struggle you're not going to be able to hold the same percentage of ftp as you would have been able to hold uh, had you done that conditioning so you see athletes who can race very well over sprint distance and perhaps struggle slightly more over the olympic distance um and that, that's the conditioning side of things it's not necessarily where their ftp is it's actually how able are they to push their ftp um yeah yeah so yeah, again, it depends on individuals. Yeah, don't think that you can go straight from sprint distance and hold the same percentage of FTP. Uh, you can't. You need to be able to condition yourself to do that. Uh, no, I, think yeah. you, and I, I, I actually tend do to be... Yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. But but I actually do tend to be a bit more conservative with the Olympic distance when, uh, when guiding athletes to what sort of power to hold. For an intermediate yeah. athlete, I would say probably 90%. Uh, and... And the advanced, I would say that well, be t- somewhere between ninety and ninety-five. So call it ninety-three. And I've seen athletes get to ninety-five percent. It happens, but but I think it's uh, it's not something that I usually expect to happen. It it happens on good days for for a good age grouper that, that is well conditioned. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. and that's where it comes down to, to yeah. knowing the athlete as well and knowing how much yeah. they've got. Um, yeah, especially when you're starting to work with an athlete initially you don't know that well you've probably got the background and training peak so you can use that as a bit of information um you've got you know hopefully you've had a full winters worth of training so you've got a fair bit of data there so you can be fair you can be fairly precise with that kind of data but if it's you know if you take on an athlete or you're an athlete who's just you know um mid-season decided to get involved then you can going have to be slightly more cautious about that and that's where Either you yourself need to think about it and think, okay, this is where the individual difference lies. And like I'm saying, I'm, I'm trying to get my point across here, there's a massive range. It kind of depends who you are. Um, so, yeah, just because one person can do one thing doesn't mean you can do that as well. Um, so, or vice versa. Um, yeah, so you need to think about that. Either you or your coach need to think about, okay, what's realistic here? What kind of athlete am I? What background have I got? Um, and what power numbers will be realistic?
0: Yeah, and uh, and then let's uh, move on to uh, T2. Uh, anything you want to mention about that and then uh, following that, the run?
1: Yes, yeah. T2. Make sure you know where the dismount line is. This mount line is. Um, so when you go in transition in the morning, you know I forgot to say this, walk the course. Um, make sure you know where the mount line is, make sure you know where the dismount line is uh, and have a look if there's any road furniture uh, coming into that dismount as well or anything you need to look out for because a lot of the time, these courses are on laps. It's very rare you do one lap for any kind of race. Uh, maybe on sprint distance. But, you know, a lot of the time these races are on lapsed courses. So, yeah, have a look because often that finish shoot is slightly different. Um, so have a look actually where the bends are, where you need to take your feet out. If you're an athlete, you're going to take your feet out. I think mean, that's a great skill to get. Uh, so practice that as well in training is actually taking your feet out before you get to the dismount line um, and actually practicing just dismounting like that and what speed to do it at. Um and if you're going to do that, you need to know where the dismount line is because you don't want to do it too late or too early, for that matter. Um, it's better to do it too early than too late, though. Um, unless you're racing, you know, is a lot of you only you're doing a draft legal race, winning which case is probably an argument you could leave it a bit later, but it's a bit risky. Uh, for most people, it's better to do it earlier rather than later because at least you can pedal. Um, yeah, uh, to look out for, yeah, so that dismount line... Um, Know the route into transition. So often the way you run into transition, there's gonna be slightly different funneling in transition. So when you run out, you know you're probably gonna go through one exit. When you come back in, you're probably gonna come back through a different exit. And that's why I say walk the course. So know where you're going. Um make sure you know where your bike is. So yes, you know, when you come out of transition the first time onto the bike, you should know where your bike is. It's a bit easier to spot. No, try and find some kind of landmark that's not gonna move that's next to your next to your bike. When you come in from transition, all you're going to have is your trainers there. And the problem with that is everyone's got the same trainers and hoodies. Uh, everyone's <laughs> running those carbon trainers. So, you know, you know a lot of people are going to have the same trainers as you. Um, so make sure you know where your spot is because the last thing you want to be doing in transition is running up and down thinking, where, where is my spot? Um, there's nothing worse than that. Um, and then, yeah, just, just you no know, in transition, you don't want to get in too flustered. You want to be calm-haired. You want to have like a process you tick off in your head. You know, this is what I'm gonna do, take my helmet off, uh, bike away uh, bike away first, helmet off, uh that kind of thing. Um, you know, nice process, have practice it in training, don't make it your first time, uh, know where the run exit is, and then head out for the run. Um so yeah, that'll be that'll be my process for transition. And then when you get on the run, so, so sorry, can I can more. I jump in
0: there with with some some comments? So so I think that the landmarks thing is really crucial, and and I just want to to highlight that. And
1: mm.
0: uh, what we're talking about here is things like buildings or maybe a particular looking tree or some other big plant, um, yeah. flagpoles, portaloos, uh, things things like of that nature, so that you know that when you Something have when, it's not going to move. Yeah, when you yeah. Ha, when you have scouted the course, you you go through okay, this is the way I will walk in when I come into T two. I will walk past these first two rows of uh bikes or bike racks, and then I have this port-a-loo on my left. And at that point when I pass the port-a-loo, I know that okay, the next row is mine. Something like that. That's that's how you will very easily be able to to find your uh your bike rack and your position in uh in transition. And and then even yeah. beyond that knowing so okay, this bike rack is kind of it is there's one rack, and then the next one that follows from it, and so on. So I'm on the at the beginning of the third yeah. one, for example, knowing, knowing things like that to make it really easy. Because it's even when even when the bike is there, even in T1, I find it really difficult to yeah. actually spot your own bike. And I have a very particular looking bike riding a yeah. Ventum, but despite that, it's not it's not easy. Like I, those landmarks are just so much better and quicker quicker to use to to find your your spot in transition, both in T1 and T2
1: you've got to know you got to know that you you got to look at it um, yeah and then the other thing I was going to say is you know we've made it sound very complicated it's not complicated it's just know where, where your bike is and just, yeah. just find that that spot and what the cost that's all you need to do there's no like you know you need to, don't to count the number of racks you can if you want but you don't need to um it probably helped but yeah don't make it too complicated don't overcomplicate it but walk the course and know where yeah like yeah.
0: It. Uh, so, yeah i agree with that uh, actually for me i do find that it helps yeah. that that's for me it's the simplest when i get to the right row for me yeah. that's just the process that works for me it depends a bit on what the area actually looks like but but yeah. but yeah whatever it is that you do you need to have done the scouting beforehand and decided that okay this is how i'm going to identify where it is so so good good caller you don't need to make it yeah. too complicated but you need to know what you're doing and how you're finding and, it
1: and the other thing I say is sometimes when you look at those maps of transition or maybe it's your first one you know it can be a bit confusing so I would, you know th- those marshals are usually there and they you know they there to help you they will help you so if you're unsure on which way things work in transition ask them um, you know, you know they're, they're there to help and they'll probably want to help so um, yeah if you're unsure ask Um yeah that's all i'd say yeah um but
0: yeah certainly certainly walk the course um uh, transition yeah and, and again, again uh, uh, right so just just one more thing remember to in training when you're getting off the bike practice dismounting the bike that's something that's very easy to do you can do it anytime you're out for a bike ride and getting back home just doing that dismount instead of yeah. just stopping the bike and, and and then unclipping
1: yeah i mean you're gonna lose a lot of time doing that um you know, you've got to completely stop the bike you've got to under your shoes you've got to run in your shoes whereas someone who can do that skill you know you're going to save so much time um you know running in your shoes for starters is not that fast um yes running barefoot is not that comfortable um but it's better than running in shoes um a lot of time if you're going for speed if you're a beginner then you know it's okay you know you're trying to get around the course you know don't don't do too much stuff at once but yeah if you're you know advanced or intermediate athlete you know that's a skill that's quite easy to learn to do uh, you just need to practice it a bit you know even when you finish a ride uh, before turning into your house just do a couple of times and just undoing your shoes like i say putting your feet on your shoes slowing down your bike don't even bother getting off your bike just, just do that a couple of times and then and then start to get used to dismount um after that you know you can do it on every ride uh, you do if, if you're unsure yeah. you how to do it you know, it becomes second nature.
0: Um, And and if 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 you're a beginner i I would say that uh, many of these things yeah dismounting a flying dismount or flying mount you don't need to do these things i think the things that are important for beginners when it comes to transitions is just knowing where your stuff is so doing that scouting properly and knowing where the mount line is and where the dismount line is do that and then the rest of it you can take it uh, take it pretty easy don't don't rush things that's that's the most important things don't don't rush things because then you're going to be slower yeah Um,
1: don't try and like yeah. do everything at once. Um, you know, you're gonna get there, but maybe make that first triathlon on your one where okay, you learn, okay, this is what triathlon feels like. Um, uh, this is this is how it works. And maybe the next one you're like, that's when you put the time in for that. Um uh, But yeah, don't put too much pressure on yourself if you're a beginner. Um, you know, you're doing the race for the first time, it's gonna be a learning experience. There's gonna be some things that you know you need to you need to know. Um that you know, you're only gonna get out of doing race practice. You know, even advanced athletes they've got lots of experience that first one of the year is often quite rusty uh, even if they've done a bit of racing before that so you know yeah don't put too much pressure on yourself basically um yeah. okay and yeah okay so that's the transition um yeah like i say just don't panic in transition uh but when when you're on your way out of transition um yeah you want to be thinking about your run now if you've got a 10k run or a 5k run you know, you're gonna have your pace targets. Um, now, this is where it gets specific to the individual as well and actually your mentality. I see a lot of people race out of transition really hard, uh, you know, flying, ready to go, feel great. Um, a lot of people, jelly legs, don't feel so great. And it takes a bit of time to, to work into it. So, you know, do a couple of brick runs in your training before, before you race. You no know, brick runs for me, not massively beneficial in terms of physiology, but actually in terms of psychology and knowing how things work and how you're actually going to race, you know, it's great. You know, you need, you need to do it. Um, so, incorporate in your training, and uh, just know how you feel, so it's not a shock on race day. Uh, and practice running at at your race pace in those, in those as well. So don't just run off, you know, as fast as you can because you have got a K rep off a bike session. Make it your actual race pace. Um, now, your race pace can depend on who you are. If it's a sprint distance and you're a beginner, you know, it's going to be about going out and you know trying to complete a distance. So starting off nice and cautiously and working into it if you're someone who's going for the for the win and going going to race and you've got a lot of conditioning you now you can be racing you know if it's a 5k you can be racing you know you're not going to run 5k pv uh but you can you probably won't be too far off it this is a top top end uh, guys by the way um and then you know middle of a range uh, you know, intermediate triathlete you know you're gonna be running you're gonna have to think okay this is a 5k i'm probably gonna run about tempo pace here um uh, so tempo pace for me is anywhere from eighty-five to to ninety-two percent of your threshold pace. So that that kind of range, as an intermediate or intermediate advanced. And again, the more advanced you are, the the faster you're going to be able to run, the more conditioning you got. And then when we look at the Olympic distance in comparison to that, it kind of comes down to conditioning. So you no, know, you can you can hold similar numbers. You're not going to be able to run anywhere near your five kpb, but you can probably run somewhere near your ten kpb or not far off it, like 96 percent of it as a very, very conditioned advanced athlete. As a beginner athlete, you know, you want to be cautious on that again, you know, somewhere down, you know, somewhere in zone two would be beneficial. Um, and then everywhere in between, you know, you're probably going to get a lot of athletes in that zone three running, you know, the more conditioned you are, the higher zone three, less conditioned you are, the lower zone three. And that, that's irrespective of your pace. You know, I've got six-year-old guys who, you know, very, very conditioned. Obviously, you know, they're not going to be running the fastest times of ever running in their life. Uh, because they've done some fast runs when they were younger. But, um, you know, in terms of that conditioning and things, yeah, their PB now, they're getting pretty close to their PB now because they're really conditioned, whereas you're just taking up the sport, then, you know, you're not going to get that close to your PB because you haven't got the conditioning yet. So just cutting yourself a bit of slack. Um, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think uh, I, I, I agree with that by and large. I, I think that, actually, I would say that on the, 10k for the very well conditioned athlete, I would always say that yeah, you can run that right at your threshold. Whereas in your open 10k race, you would race it slightly, slightly above threshold, not much, but but ever so slightly. If you're yeah. running like 37, 36, 35, 34, 33 minutes or so, uh, and and on the yeah. 5k, yeah. yeah, likewise, you would be in, even in a triathlon, you could be slightly above threshold if if you're well, very well conditioned. So so I would say those as kind of the the high end of, uh, of what might be achievable when you're well-trained and, and well-conditioned to to those distances.
1: Yeah. And yeah,
0: yeah, it is, it is very individual though. So
1: just be, you know, like I said already, don't compare yourself to someone else because you got to know your background. You got to know, okay, what what kind of endurance sports you've done in the past. And this is where things like running economy become very important. Now, running economy, probably to beginners, sounds quite scary. Um, running economy is basically, yeah, how economical or how how efficient you are with your movement when you're running. Um, you you know, you can work on that. And this is where, yes, running a lot helps. It definitely does. Um, it definitely does help. Just give me a second. Um, oh. Forgot to turn laptop charge on. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that right? Sorry. Yeah, I'll start again. So it definitely does help to be conditioned uh, through running. So the more running you do, the more conditioned you're going to be generally, um, if you're running in good form. Um, that's a Broad sweeping statement, but generally true, I think, I'd say anyway. Uh, but you can you can incorporate things like strength work into your, into your training, some plyometrics. Um, now, the strength work is especially important, I'd say, when it comes to running because you don't want to get injured. And a lot of injuries do occur on the run side of things. So if you incorporate something that's going to help out your robustness, so make you more robust, maybe some calf raises, some work on your hamstrings, work activating the glutes as well, because a lot of people have trouble activating the glutes. The hip flexors are, you know, constantly on because they're sat down like we are now. Um, you know, that, that's something you want to, yeah, you, you need to think about in the gym. And that's going to help you with your running robustness and your running economy. Uh, incorporating some plyometric work, you know, is going to help with your running economy as well. Um, you don't want to be too advanced too. you know, you don't want to get too advanced about it if you're a beginner athlete. But a little bit of it is probably not going to hurt. Um but yeah, it depends on your background of sport and actually where you are. But certainly, I'd say this is it's definitely neglected is that work you do in the gym, that work you do that's not necessarily the run-specific stuff that, that will help at the end of a run. Because don't forget, it's not only 10k, it's also 10k off the back of uh, 1,500 metres of swimming and 40K, 40 kilometres of cycling. So your running economy is going to be less at that point, regardless of who you are. Um, but the best we're going to have more conditioning and gonna be able to run, yeah, you know, as you say, opposite threshold. Um and if you're completely new to the sport, yeah, your running economy is not gonna be great and you're probably gonna be suffering for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and just going back to the beginner pacing a little bit, you you said it already, but just go out conservatively. I think that a good piece of yeah. advice would be to take the first fifth of the race so uh, the first one kilometer in the five kilometer race and the first two kilometers in the 10 kilometer kilometer race to really give yourself permission to to go way slower than you think that you should be going and then assess how you feel Mm -hmm. at that point and then you can start to To up the pace if you feel that okay actually this is sustainable for another 4k or another 8k in the case of the the 10k so but but have a specific and it's not that it's if it's like as if 1k or 2k for the olympic is any sort of magical or particular numbers but just give yourself enough of a time at the beginning of the race to work your way into it and make sure that you don't go out too fast so so in that sense put the put a ceiling on your pace for, for a given amount of time and then you can reassess how you feel.
1: Yeah. I mean that, you know, as a beginner athlete, you know, you run with a watch gives you a bit of perspective on how fast you're running. Um, I say to athletes, don't worry too much about that. Um, it's go more by, more by feel, but that's probably more advanced athletes who would say that too. Uh, you know, you still have some perspective of your pace. Yeah. Um, you, know, you, I say that, you know, what you just said to about age, about uh, beginner athletes, age beginner athletes is, um, it's true, also of advanced athletes, in my opinion, uh, especially the guys who I say I know are going to go out too hard. So I say, look, that first K on a 5K, you no, know, make it easier than you feel. You now, going back to that 400 meter analogy, you, you're going to feel, you're going to feel like you can absolutely, you know, it's not going to hurt you that first K, that first 100 meters or 400 meters doesn't hurt it's the next 300 meters that hurts. It's um, so the same kind of thing with a 5K. Um, you know, hold back for the first K and then reassess. And then by the end of the race, you're kind of doing the opposite. It's okay, you're really pushing yourself and putting yourself in a bit of a hole in the last couple of K. Uh, but you should not be doing that on the first K. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, it's just just about pacing and being aware of that. Um, you know, and it's knowing, if you're a coach, knowing the type of athlete you got. And if you're an athlete... It's knowing what kind of personality you've got and how you're going to respond yeah. to that, um, especially because people around you and you they're in a race with you uh, and you're going for it. So you know, they might not have it right either. So just be aware of that.
0: Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. That, that's that's the thing. You you need to be yeah. have have a plan for yourself and be confident in that plan. And then even when other people might be running past you in that first kilometer or two, just. Ignore them because yeah. they will be coming back to you. And, and I think that that applies more so than ever in the triathlon on the run because that's when <laughs> that's when stuff hits the fan, so to yeah. say, and, and a lot of people will blow up. So so don't be the person I mean, that blows up.
1: I, and be aware that things like the temperature and things like even, you know, I've had race athletes go and race attitude altitude. Um, just be aware that that's going to have an influence on how fast you run. If it's really hot and really humid, you're not going to run as fast as you usually would. Uh, you know, you're going to suffer it. Um, and the same thing with attitude, obviously being aware that if you've just gone up to attitude, having done no prep, then unfortunately, you know, a lot of people have that predicament because they can't spend two weeks attitude before a race. But, you know, I'm thinking of certain races here that I've seen athletes go and do, and just just being prepared for that, okay, your threshold pace and threshold power on both bike and run and swim gonna, gonna be lower. Uh, so, yeah, as that, and you no, know, going back on what you just said about having a plan yeah that's something that I'd reinforce for any race is have a plan and you know that that's got to be especially if you're a beginner but it doesn't matter who you are really you having a plan from things like okay what's my list what do I need for the race because that's important the amount of times I've left a tri-belt at home because I think oh you know you just forget the tri-belt or something like that or um you know and actually then knowing things like your nutrition what you're going to eat on race day morning is important um you know people get nervous on race day morning. So if you, you've practiced it, you should have practiced it in training, practice your pre-race breakfast, you know, know how much you can eat, know how much you can tolerate, um, you know, get to the course nice and early, um, especially with COVID, um, you know, it takes a bit longer, probably getting a temperature check, that kind of thing. Uh, it's facing transitions. Um, be prepared to, yeah, be prepared for that. Know where the admin tent is, that kind of thing, you know, where you got to pick your race pack up, um, yeah things like actually knowing where you can warm up and where you can warm up important you know with covid a lot of people are stuck inside transitions um so you're gonna have to go for a little run before you go in there probably do some jumping on the spot get your bands out while you're in transition um, because that's all you're gonna be able to do if it's a normal racing scenario perhaps you're lucky to be in australia at the moment or hopefully in six months time uh when we can race properly hopefully um you know you can you can do a warm-up properly but have it all planned out and know what you know what you're trying to do um no things that one thing I think everyone forgets is no, and this is a bit crude, but know where the toilet is. And also know you'd probably want to take some toilet paper with you um, because just, just be prepared for that. That's always one that catch people. out. I think, uh, you know, you don't want to be uncomfortable when you're starting a race. Um, yeah. And obviously things like knowing the course essential, knowing what nutrition you're going to take on the course. You know, if it's Olympic distance, you want to take in some nutrition, even sprint distance. You want to take in some nutrition, arguably, um, especially if it's going to take you a bit longer, um you know, just just having that all planned out and knowing things like threshold pace uh you know what you're aiming for on the course you know that that kind of thing is important uh, yeah that was so a, yeah.
0: that was a great rundown and uh, i'll also link to some additional episodes that we've done in the past on race plans but but that was that was all great um we've already been talking for more than an hour so uh so I have a couple of other questions that I do want to get to and the first one would be okay. some general advice and let's pull the sprint and olympic distance uh, discussions together here again and let's focus this maybe on the inter- typical intermediate age group athlete so what would be some general advice around things like a training intensity distribution we already talked about it is, they are both endurance events. We also talked about the importance of specificity, but, but if you were to describe like training test distribution, not necessarily in terms of percentages, but just qualitatively, uh, what, what, what do you have to say about that?
1: So your race is going to be in zone three. Uh, a lot of it, you need to be training in. you need to have done some training in zone 3 And I'll say don't spend all your training in zone three by all means, but you need to have done some training in zone three. Um, because that's where your race is going to be. You know, if you're doing that, you know, that that's kind
0: of... If it is there, model, but... uh, because it might be in zone four in a sprint distance.
1: Yeah, it might be in zone four, yeah. Yeah, it might be in zone four for sprint distance. Um, yeah, so you need to be thinking about, yeah, what what are your training you're doing and and what the specifics of the event are. So zone three, zone four, for sure, you need to be training in. Like I say, don't spend all your training, don't spend all your time there. You, know, you, prob- you need to be doing some aerobic endurance work as well. Um, you know, it kind of depends on how much time you've got. The more time you've got, the more aerobic endurance work you can do. Uh, the more extra things you can add in, you know, it's going to benefit you. There's a reason that pros are training 25 hours a week, 30 hours a week. Um, some of it is overkill, but some of it is also, you know, it, it's, there's going to be there's a benefit to doing aerobic endurance sport uh, in the sport. So be prepared for that. Um, yeah, you want to be spending time there on the swim side of things. You want to be incorporating a bit of speed work as well as your aerobic swimming, you want to be incorporating sets that allow you to get a feeling for the kind of training you are doing. So the kind of racing you were doing, sorry. So yeah, you want to be able to feel threshold because like we already said earlier, when it comes to racing, you've not got any guidance on actually what pace you're swimming. Um, and actually, because you haven't got turns and things anyway, it kind of becomes a bit of, you know, a bit of nonsense because actually if it's a tide, if it's waves, you know, you need to know how you're feeling. You need to know how threshold feels. Um, yeah, on the run and the bike, yeah, making it specific. So like we said, zone three, zone four, in error position, you know, if it's a non drafting event, you know, making sure you've you've got that nail to make sure you know what you're doing there. spending some time in those sessions, uh, doing those sessions. Um and then yeah, like we've already mentioned, you know, you probably want to throw in a couple of brick sessions there every now and again just to make sure you're practicing things like transitions, um, you know, actually the feeling for of running off a bike, that kind of thing. Um yeah.
0: Yeah. So that, that's the to, kind of stuff to,
1: I'd be incorporating. Yeah.
0: To, to what extent might you... You Making speed work, easy work easy on the swim.
1: Fastball.
0: But uh, you, you mentioned speed work on the swim. Go but on, to yeah. what extent might you uh, include uh, like high-intensity work above threshold, so zone 5 in a 5-zone model, on the bike and the run?
1: So on the bike and the run, so I would definitely include a bit of it. Uh, and I'd probably stop including it so much towards, towards the event. But... Um, you know, I'd incorporate bits of it, so I'd incorporate strides and things, which is obviously zone five for a lot of people, or would be if you didn't properly, um, in in running. Um I'd incorporate the odd sprint and cycling. Um but as you get close to the event you probably want to be focusing more of your energy on the actual race specifics of things. So incorporating it in training, incorporating it as drills, uh, as things to open your legs. Um but the closer you get to the race, the less of that I'd do. Um not saying that it's useless, just saying that I'd save save your energy for, for the sessions that you're doing. Um, but yeah, definitely a place for it in your training, for sure.
0: Right. Uh, and uh, then the next question is, how would you distribute training between the three dif- disciplines, uh, swim, bike, run, and, and also we can throw in strength training here?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if you've only got eight hours a week, um, then, you know, you're looking at basically... You know, probably two swim sessions, two bike sessions and two run sessions. You know, that, that kind of for me is, and, and a tram session is, is what you want to be doing. And obviously, in terms of duration of that, you probably want to be, you know, you're going to have to incorporate some different aspects to those sessions. Um, so, yeah, for a swim session, you want to incorporate a bit of speed work, a bit of aerobic work, uh, a bit of specific work to your race or your event as well. So what kind of pace am I going to be swimming at. So like we say, if it's a 1,500 meters swim, you need to be able to swim 1,500 meters as your beginner. If it's an advanced athlete, you're going to be wanting to swim 1,500 meters at threshold. So you're probably going to want to do a session like uh, off-top med, 20 by 100 at threshold because we have a bit of recovery between each 100 so that you can actually swim threshold. You know That kind of set um, is the kind of thing you want to be doing um, if you're more of an advanced athlete um yeah on the bike you know again making it specific spending time in trying time trial position if it's non jacking event making sure you're you know doing sessions specific to your event so you know as we've spoken about there's a big range there but you should be doing sessions in that range of you know where you want to be racing um as we get close to the run as we get close to the race anyway um and the same kind of thing of a run you know on the run, I'd argue you don't want to be doing lots and lots of speed work. You want to incorporate a bit of strength work there in terms of tempo work. Um, but tempo is a big range anyway. You know, it can be used to explain, to describe a lot of things. So again, that kind of tempo session, you know, if you're an advanced athlete, you're probably running 95%. Uh, you know, if it's too long, you don't want to be doing too much of wipe you out. Um, but it's just about making it as specific to the event as possible. So, for example... If I had two runs a week, I probably make I probably have a decent warm up, cool down, a bit of aerobic endurance in there, and then I'd make it possibly for a uh, for ten k uh, for a for Olympic distance race. I'd make one of them a threshold session and one of them more of a tempo based session. Um, yeah, and then for a sprint distance, I'd, I'd probably change that for more. Yeah, you know, I'd incorporate threshold work as as one of those sessions, but I'd, in that threshold session, I'd incorporate a bit of faster stuff as well, so more down to uh vo2 kind of work um in that session as well and i probably put i would put a a short tempo in there so in that second session i probably spend like 20 minutes tempo and then something like 3 by 5 minutes uh vo2 as a hill rep something like that um is what i go for okay <laughs> does that make yeah. sense
0: yeah yeah it does so yeah. so not um, afraid if you, yeah, if you have limited time to so, so if you have limited time you you're not afraid to to have all the sessions include, or most of the sessions include, some sort of quality work at at moderate or high intensity.
1: Yeah, if you got if you got limited time, and yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the bare the bare basics. You know, it depends on your injury background as well. If you're at risk of getting injured, you know that kind of thing. Uh, you you want to you want to ease off a bit on the running side of things. Um, you know, you don't need to spend all of your sessions. Uh, at zone in zone three or zone four, you like just said it's going to have to be some aspects of them that are a bit easier, um, and you do want to include the odd aerobic ride, the odd aerobic run, you know, as well as that. So this is, you know, that's just a standard week, but I'd probably, you know, do maybe two two run sessions, and the next week I'd do one run session and then one aerobic run instead, and I'd be incorporating, you know, like I say, plenty of aerobic work in there as well. Um, and then the more advanced you are, the, more, the not just advanced, but the more time you've got. Um, the more aerobic work I've put in there. Um, yeah. And this again is, is remember for specific block as well. So not base block, specific block. Uh, it's getting close yeah. to racing. Um, and that base block you probably want to include a bit more aerobic endurance work. Uh, but you would definitely include more aerobic endurance yeah. work.
0: Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that that's great uh great advice. And and I think in terms of just describing the uh, what what you're saying there about the sessions including a good amount of aerobic work in themselves there's a difference between doing let's say one hour run with 20 minutes at threshold with a good 25 minute warm up and 50 minutes easier warm down or just aerobic running after the threshold block versus doing a five minute jog and then 50 minutes at tempo and then a five minute jog to end Uh, the the first one would uh, would be more beneficial probably in the grand scheme of things because you can you will end up being more consistent in the end when you have have both the, the Arabic work and not too much of that sort of really demanding quality work in, in the mid zones or, or even at high intensity.
1: And then for that, for that running, you know, I wouldn't jump straight in and do two, one hour sessions either. You know, this is specific block. So I tend to favor doing a bit more frequency for the running over anything else. So if you've got half an hour spare, you know, in that base block, no, putting more half an hour sessions in is, is a better idea. Um, it depends on how much time you got available in the week, though. So if you've literally just got, uh, you know, what, six hours plus the Shrem session to do to do work, then, yeah, you, you're very time-limited. and It's got to be at specific times because maybe, you know, you've got kids, you got work, that kind of stuff going on. Um, but on the run side of things, yeah, I'd just like to add, I'd probably favour a bit more frequency of, of approach as well um, instead of just doing two one-hour runs. Um Perhaps it may not clear, but yeah, if you've only got two one-hour runs, that's the kind of stuff that I would be incorporating in those two one-hour runs.
0: All right, yeah. So you kind of already did it, but but let's do it anyway, and that is to give one swim, one bike, and one run session uh, a key session that can be used in that specific preparation period for an intermediate athlete preparing for an Olympic distance event.
1: Yeah, so I mean, something simple like uh, 2100s is going to be great for for Olympic how, how long around, recoveries uh, would you yeah, get? at threshold. Um well it depends on the athlete. So you could start off with a session that was you know, thirty seconds recovery between each hundred and then you build that up to you know, it's you know you change the session slightly, but you'd um you probably go something like twenty seconds uh you go, you go thirty seconds for the first five, and twenty seconds for the second five, ten seconds for the third five, and then if you feel ambitious, five seconds to that, that last five yeah. is something I I build it up. You yeah. know, you, but you could start off with 30 seconds for all the intervals and then maybe the next few was 20 seconds or you could play around about something like 10, 200s or, or, you know, play around the distance a bit. You know, if you're feeling ambitious as well, you could put five, 400s, you know, that, that kind of distance. But yeah, an example session would be 2100s, at, um, the you know, 20 seconds recovery, uh, a yeah. threshold is going to be a fairly decent session, you know, yeah. um, that, that's kind of the staple you, you can play around about a bit. Um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, the other thing to think about there is if you're more advanced athlete is I'd probably put in some more some I'd, – I'd, I'd probably do one week of that and then one week of putting some faster work in, so something like um, 50 metres hard uh, VO2 effort, so just faster than threshold, and then 100 metres or 150 metres at threshold. Um, so make, breaking up in 200s like that um, and then be doing like 10, 200s of that uh, with a bit more recovery, so just to get used to that pace uh, – pace breakdown um so that'll be another key session you could do if you were more advanced and thinking about pace variation um on the bike yeah i mean on the bike to be honest i'd be working around your race pace so you know if you're racing you know at you know an Olympic distance then like we said you know you want to be racing you want to be training at at a race intensity so you want to be racing or training in in the sweet spot kind of zone you know somewhere around there you know uh, the more conditioned you are, the longer you hold it for. Um, you, know, you can play around with interval lengths a bit. Um, but you know, a nice session would be something like three by twenty minutes, uh, with ten minutes recovery um at desired race intensity in aero position. Um I think that's yep. a fairly standard session. Now, obviously there's loads of different ways of doing that and loads of different things to think about. You could do slightly differently. But that's a fairly standard session, I'd say. Um without that, that should get results, you know, if your intensity is is right. Um it, you know, and you can build it up. You can you can extend the length of the intervals. Um, you can put a few, uh, like we said earlier, you don't want to get you don't want to get static in there. So you can put a few um, the top end or, or threshold intervals. So threshold intervals. So you might do something like uh, four by one minute threshold with twenty session recovery into twelve minutes of sweet spot work, um, just to prepare yourself for the changes in the you know, course because you're not going to be riding on a flat course with no wind. Really, it doesn't really happen. Um, so that's a that's way you can advance that session or potentially just making the reps a bit longer. Um, and then in terms of running, yeah, uh, we've been over this a bit. So I'd, I'd probably incorporate a session that was around 20 minutes to, to 30 minutes of threshold work, depending on who you are. Now, if you're doing sprint distance, probably 20 minutes of threshold work, but with a bit of that as something a bit faster. So maybe um, five minute a five-minute rep of threshold then um, some two-minute reps of VO2 work. And then back to some threshold again, like that, that kind of thing. Um, and then for longer, you know, people are racing events that are, you know, Olympic distance. So something like a six minute, a five minute, a four minute, a three minute, and then build all the way back up to six minute from there at threshold intensity. With with half the amount of time you spent running hard as recovery would be a fairly standard session. Um, so yeah, things like that. And then i probably yeah. the other session I'd make in a week is a tempo session. So a decent long run um at at race intensity. So you know around 30 minutes for, for most people. Um, uh, you know, probably a bit longer if you're racing Olympic distance. And then, you know, if you're racing sprint distance, you could change it up. You can even change it up slightly for Olympic distance as well, but you can change it up as something like twenty minutes of tempo with some with some maybe some hill reps, so three by five minute hill reps as hard as you can go. Um, or some kind of, if you're only got flat grounds, running maybe vo two. You know, another way of actually measuring your robustness I like to do with athletes is with a build run. So you could do something like four by eight minutes or five by eight minutes. So starting in zone two and working all the way up to, to race pace and actually thinking, can I actually run at race pace? Having done that work beforehand is a nice session to do to to complement the tempo session. Um, so maybe every three or four weeks, throwing that in. Um, but yeah, that's send standard sessions. Um, I hope I haven't made that too complicated.
0: Oh, no, 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 those are great. I really like them. And uh, so, then, if we take the final question here before uh, redoing the rapid fire questions that you did a few years ago, but uh, a summary of today's discussion, what do you think are the three most important take-home messages to leave the audience with?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this and, you know, it's, it's quite hard to say. So, I know there's a lot of things that I've mentioned and a lot of things that I think are important, but the thing is, the first thing I'd look at is actually know what you're aiming for, so know what you're trying to achieve. Um, but if you don't know what you're trying to achieve in a race then or you're trying to achieve in a season, then you don't really know what you're training for. So, have that, have that set out and have it clearly defined. Um, it's got to be realistic, but, you know, your coach or maybe a friend or maybe a partner, someone can help you with that. And, you know, provide a objective view, okay, yeah, it's realistic or maybe it's not realistic. Um, the second thing is, yeah, look at the specifics. So look at the event, look at where you're racing, look at what the course is going to require you to do. Um, you know, you want to know, you don't want any surprises on race day, but you also want to know exactly what you're training for. Um, so if there's loads of t- loads of turns in the course, you know, you turn every 10 seconds, bit of a, what uh, bit of an example but you want to be making sure that actually you are um you know practicing for that if it's just gonna be long straight road then also practicing for that as well um and then thirdly is don't forget you know it's an endurance sport so especially with distance, it's not it's still an endurance sport it's the event that's going to take you an hour to two hours that kind of region you know most people are going to be in that kind of region so just just remember it's an endurance sport and yeah train for it like it's an endurance sport don't don't neglect those you know those longer sessions and those aerobic sessions or just the aerobic work in general um you know and i actually like to add a fourth one in is you know just enjoy it it's a sport that you know you should be doing because you enjoy if you're not enjoying what you're doing don't do it um but yeah enjoy what you're doing uh, and try and enjoy the journey as well and remember that training is part of it uh, part of part of a journey um uh, actually if you're not enjoying the training you know you might you might not you might not enjoy the race or you might enjoy the race but you got to enjoy the training as well because i think those two go hand in hand and, and that, that helps with the consistency of the training as well and it helps the balance of training so enjoy it um, if you can get <laughs>
0: <Okay. Yeah. laughs> Yeah, I think those are all excellent points uh, to to fi- uh, to find finish the episode with. So uh, now I just thought that we might do this because it's been a long time since we did this the first time and these are the rapid fire questions and you might have changed your mind on, on something of it. So, uh, so let's take them. And the first one is, what's your favorite book, blog or resource related to endurance sports?
1: You know what? I don't think I'm going to change my answer here. So I'm going to say it's still people. I think you can learn a lot from people. So I'm lucky that I've been able to meet a lot of different people, um, but I would, whoever you meet, I think they've got something to add, you know, whether or not you agree with them is just take what they've got to say on board and you, know, you don't have to implement it, but just just be aware of that kind of thinking because I think a lot of time in this sport, you know, people kind of get tribalized and, you know, oh, that's completely different and actually people have got things to add in and even, even a beginner, you know, even coaching beginners, they add in things, you know, they see, help you see things from different perspectives, you know, so, so don't write anyone off and, yeah, learn from people. That, that'll be my my take home there. Is I take things from people a lot. Um, sorry, that wasn't yep. 15 seconds, was it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's great. And uh, next one, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say my bike, uh, my obeyer. Um I'm going to be slightly controversial here and say my aero bike, not my uh, time trail bike, uh, just because... I, I just really love it um and the reason yeah i just really love riding my bike um so yeah it's not i think a lot of people would say that kind of thing um uh, yeah it's it's what i enjoy doing so for me that that's yeah the best thing um
0: yeah. i've got <laughs> and finally what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success
1: um
0: well is a sport where
1: you often don't get what you Train for or what you what you want, what you're aiming for. So, is not to give up after the first time of trying. Just keep trying and trying and trying and, and never give up. Uh, is what I'd say. Um, and I think, yeah, um, when it comes to triathlon, you know, a lot of us in this sport are very dogged, and we will keep going with it. Uh, knowing knowing when to change a tactic is, or change change tactics is important, but also not giving up. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that's something that I mean. It's easy to say, but I know that you you really yeah. you really live up, live to those words. <laughs> knowing you, so so it's uh, it's not just uh, talk. Uh, you're definitely walking the walk. I think a lot of traffic do actually, so yeah. I don't think
1: I'm alone with that one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I can think of a lot of people who who would do that.
0: Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and finally, where can people find you on social media? And uh, do you have any idea where you will be racing this season?
1: So, yeah, social media, uh, mostly on Instagram at the moment. Um, I do have Twitter. I do have Facebook. Um, Yeah, I I do use Instagram uh, more uh, for that kind of thing, just, yeah, showing what I'm doing, really. And, um, yeah, race race side of things, Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to race whatever I can. And I was chatting with you beforehand. Um, It's going to be – I'm hoping to support the PTO stuff. I want to go with that. I want to try and qualify for the Collins Cup, Uh, you know, it's a big game this year. Um that's kind of my aim is, is to be racing Collins Cup and also World Championships seventy point three. Um in terms of races I'm gonna to do to do that, uh at the moment, I'm not too sure. I'm in Marbella, which is in at, at the time of, in, of interviewing, uh twelve 12 twelve twelve weeks away, not minutes, twelve weeks away. Um so might go ahead. Um if not I'll be slightly later than that. But yeah. When I race when I can race this season, um that'll be good enough for me. I know what that is right but I'm, I'm hoping i'm hopeful yeah
0: yeah well uh thank you so much uh james for taking the time and uh sharing all this information with us it's been great to have you back on the podcast and uh i hope to have you back again soon for another episode
1: okay great thank you very much see you soon.
0: I hope that you enjoyed that interview with James. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and you can find links to James's coaching profile there uh, right on the coaching page and also his Instagram. We will also have direct links to all of his previous appearances on the podcast, including both regular episodes and Q&A episodes. So that will all be in the show notes and in the episode description. On Thursday, we have another Q&A coming out as usual. And then next Monday, I have uh, another scientific traveling coach, Lachlan Kirin, on the podcast. And we will discuss the balance between training load and recovery. And uh, advice for planning and executing your training with that balance in mind. So stay tuned for that. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you're looking for ways to take your training to the next level, then do check out the training plans and coaching services that we offer on scientifictriathlon.com. And we're confident that we can help you improve your triathlon or endurance performance. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy for your next race. And use the discount code thattriathlonshow15 to get 15% off your order. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.